edition of the Mindset Game Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. Before we get started with this week's show, first off, let me take this opportunity to welcome back the regular listeners, and if this is your first time listening to the show, I hope you enjoy this episode and decide to subscribe to the show. And on today's show, I've got Brett Parks. He's looking to compete with the USA Sitting Volleyball Team in Tokyo 2020. So welcome on to the show, Brett. Hey, James. How are you doing today? I'm good. And yourself? It's good to be here. I'm doing well. Thank you. So before we delve into today's episode, Brett, can you kind of talk about your journey from, obviously, from where you started in sport to where you are and obviously your aspirations to make the Paralympics in three years' time? Uh, yeah, sure. I was um, I was a, a sun and beach kid. I was born in Miami, Florida, in the United States, and uh, I was always outside. I was always playing sports. I was always doing something. If there was any kind of ball, I would find a way to play a game with it. And uh, I, it went through high school. I played baseball and football, and I got a football scholarship to Carson Newman College in Jefferson City, Tennessee. And I did that for a little bit, and then I bounced around after that, and. Um, Eventually, I, I, I heard my country calling my name, and I enlisted in the United States Navy. And, you know, at, at that moment in my life, my life was perfect. Everything was perfect. I had uh, the woman of my dreams was my wife. I had a 17-month-old boy at the time with her, and she was seven months pregnant. And I was a naval air crewman on the PC-3 Orions. So, uh, like, everything I wanted in life, I had. And um, it was... It was in October 17th, 2012, where my life just got turned upside down. And I was off base. I wasn't deployed yet. I was in Jacksonville, Florida. And I was also a personal trainer. I loved, I loved seeing uh, what fitness and weights, I loved seeing how it transformed people's bodies. I loved seeing how it transformed my body. So I was a traveling uh, personal trainer or fitness trainer. I would go to people's gyms and I would, I would train them basically. And I wouldn't be set at one gym because I didn't want them to have to pay for a membership and everything. So I would go to people's gym in October 17, 2012. I'm standing there outside the front of the gym and I heard uh, a scream behind the gym. You know, it was one of those blood curdling screams. And what really made me kind of freeze right where I was is that it was a man screaming and it's not every day that you that you hear a man scream you know you, girls in movies they scream all the time so you kind of used to girls screaming but when it's a man it's a little different so I um I kind of start making my way over there and I heard this lady yelling out oh my gosh somebody help him he's being robbed so I um I dropped everything uh you know my speed ladder my my fitness bands and I just run around the corner and there's this this big dude robbing this little guy. And as soon as the, the guy who was the robber, as soon as he saw me, um, he tried, he tried to run away. He tried to, um, he tried to run and he didn't know this about me, but I was, I was one of the fastest guys I knew. Um, I ran a, uh, four, four, three in the 40 yard dash. So I was, I was pretty quick. So I hawked this kid down and he's there. He has his jeans like below his butt trying to run away from me, pulling his pants up. And I actually start running right beside him. And I look over and say, hey, man, where are you going? And he knew that the gig was up. You know, he was like, he started slowing down, still walking kind of quick. And I, I went ahead and I, 
I grabbed his, his um, sweatshirt sleeve and said, hey, I said, where are you going? And he said, let go of me, dog. And I was like, uh, in my head, I'm like, yeah, right, I'm going to let go of you because you told me to let go of you. So I said, no, man, listen, the cops are being, the cops are called. Nobody's going anywhere until we figure this out. But he kept walking. I'm walking with him, and he's going straight towards the exit. So I decided to get in front of him, and I grabbed both of his sleeves. And I said, hey, I said, where are you going? And he told me one more time. He said, let go of me, dog. And I said, no, no, not a chance. And um, it was funny because I noticed his hands were in his sweatshirt pockets. And, um, and I, was, I was looking at that, and I was like, okay, one of these times it's going to try to hit me. It's going to try to take a swing at me. So I had his, his sleeves. I was like, all right, I'm going to look at his shoulders. The second one of those shoulders lifts up, that means he's taking his hand out of his sweatshirt pocket and he's going to take a swing at me. So I had it planned perfectly. I was going to scoop him, take him down, and just lay on him until the cops got there. It was a perfect plan that was not executed. Um, what happened was he had a gun in his sweatshirt pockets. And um, while I was looking at his shoulders, I just heard two shots. I heard two loud bangs. Um, the first shot hit me in the, in the abdomen. Uh, the second shot missed. And I'd like to tell you that I, um, that I, that I, I absorbed the bullet. I'm like, oh, that hurt, but you're not going anywhere. I, I would love to tell you I did that, but that's, that's not what happened. I just fell like a load of bricks. And I, wasn't, I couldn't have been happier to see him go. <laughs> he ran off. And, and when I hit the ground, my, my first thought in my head was, um, you've got to be kidding me. I almost, I almost laughed a little bit. I was like, this is so funny. This is so comedic. Like, this is like a movie. And I almost chuckled. And then um, my second thought came to my head, and it really sobered me up quick. I, um, I thought to myself, I'm going to die today. Uh, and so I laid my head on the, on the concrete in the parking lot, and, and I just waited for death to take me. And... Um, that was the beginning of my my journey to recovery and sports uh, and para sports adaptive sports was a huge huge part of my recovery um, so I made a long story a lot longer by telling you where, where I got into the uh, adaptive sports and that was it me being shot on October 17 2012 and you kind of talk about obviously your your Naval history, is that what kind of brought you, well, to light with the Invictus Games? Um, yes. I, um, well, when I got shot, I was, uh, I was rushed to the hospital. And as I was riding in the hospital um, in the ambulance, uh, I, I turned to the, to the paramedic. I was like, hey, man, is it, is it bad? And he looks at me. He's like, no, it's not bad. You're, you're going to be fine. You'll be out tomorrow. I was like, oh, okay, good. So I got shot. Um, if I would have gotten shot a few more times, I could have made a rap album. But no, just once. So I, uh, <laughs> I, they sent me, they brought me into the, uh, to the emergency room. One of the nurses asked me how I felt. And I thought that was the dumbest question in the world. I told her I was bleeding. <laughs> and I said, I'm, I'm, um, I'm hurting and I'm scared. And that was the last thing I, I remember. And it turns out I wouldn't wake up for 20 days. I was in a 20 day coma. At that time, my wife was told every day um, that I wasn't going to make it through the night. They kept giving me six hours to live, six hours to live. She was, she was starting to make funeral arrangements because they were sure I was going to die. And I, I, I never did. I kept hanging on. And um, 
so when I was in the hospital a total of four months, and then um, when I was at the VA hospital, my third and fourth month, somebody came to me um, and they said, listen, I'm, I'm with Navy Wounded Warrior, Navy Safe Harbor, and they have an adaptive sports program. You would be great in adaptive uh, Paralympic type uh, sports. We'd really like you to, to come out and, and try it. Now, at this point in my life, I was in so much pain. I just realized I didn't have a leg anymore. I lost a kidney and a third of my colon. My leg was amputated below the knee because my vena cava was severed, my major artery in my leg. So I, I, was lo- I lost a lot of me, a bit of me I lost. And the last thing I wanted to hear was, oh, hey, you should start playing sports. I almost threw my lunch tray at her. I was so upset with her. I told her, get out of here. I don't want anything to do with it. Um, and, and my whole goal when I, when I woke up and I was in all that pain was to find a way to be able to play with my son uh, when I got out of the hospital. And, you know, guys like you and me, we know that, that that's crazy talk because we can do anything that, that an, an able-bodied person can do. Sometimes we do it a lot better. But when you, when you just realize you lost a body part, and it's so taboo to do that and, and to have that. When you're growing up, you don't really see many people with, with missing limbs. Uh, you're, you're just not thinking straight. Uh, so then she tricked me. Uh, she came back a couple months later and she said, hey, Brett, do you want to go to Hawaii? I was like, Hawaii? Uh, yeah, I want to go to Hawaii. And she's like, oh, good, good. I was like, when is it? And she's like, oh, it's in September this. I'm like, uh, sign me up. I'm, I'm all about it. And she's like, great, great. I just need you to pick two sports. I was like, what are you talking about? And she's like, it's an adaptive sports camp. You have to pick two sports. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Come on, man. And I was like, fine. For, for Hawaii, I will go there and I will play two sports. So I actually chose um, swimming and uh, shot put discus, so field. And I guess, I guess it's called athletics, right? So, so I picked swimming because I was a Miami boy. I learned to swim before I learned to walk. So I, was, I was, felt very natural in the water. And, and then I chose field because I know that um, – that shot put in discus and javelin, that was, that was like some of the first events in the original Olympics. It's like, man, this is really cool. I've always loved track and field athletics. So, so I um, went there and I got in the pool and I did one lap in the pool and I got out and I said, I'm never going to do this again because it just didn't feel right. You know, I was missing a leg. I felt like it, uh, I had a lucky fin and I was swimming in circles. So, so I, I, um, I got back in the pool the next day. I was like, you know what? Let's just, let's push through it. Just take it easy. And I started, my body started adapting. I started to understand uh, the different weights and balances I had to have in the water, the kind of type of buoyancy. And then at the end of the camp, we were playing, we were competing against air force. And um, I think the army was there as well. And in all of the, the swim meets, I took first place in all of them. And I was, I mean, sorry, swim events, I took first place in all of them. And uh, I was like, wow, I'm actually pretty good at this. So then that started my, my, um, my vision to, to go to the Paralympics as a swimmer. Little did I know that I'd later be recruited to, for sitting volleyball. But, yeah, I got into depth of sports through um, – 
through just these, these adaptive sports programs to like maybe safe Harbor to get me in and get me going, even though it was the last thing I wanted to do at the time. So yeah, that's how I got into it. No, it's not a bad way to get into sports, though, is it? As no, Hawaii? No, not at all. <laughs> what would you call it? Not mind trickery. Um, reverse psychology. It's, exa- it's exactly what it was, and I was okay with it. <laughs> but what what would have been? Would London? Oh God, what the year would it have been? Would London have been your first Invictus Games then? Yes, it was my first Invictus Games. Um, think I was under a year, maybe just about a year into my injury. So I was still kind of learning my body and, and I was really good at the 50, uh, 50 freestyle. I was really good at that. Um, but my, my teammate, uh, Redmond Ramos, he was a swimmer as well. And I was better than him in the hundred meter, uh, so they told me, you know what, you should run, the, you should swim the hundred because uh, you're better than Red, and Red's the only shot he has is on in the fifty. So I was like, darn it! This whole time for like seven months, I was training for the fifty, and then they want me to do the hundred. So I went out there and and I made it to the finals, the the medal round. And when I got to the medal round, I think I took like second to last. I gasped like because I didn't know how to swim the one hundred. But, but yeah, Invictus Games in London was my first Invictus Games. I, I made it to the finals in, um, shoot, what was it, in Discus, and I took, I think, fifth place there. It was a great, it was a great experience for me, a great opportunity. The funny thing is, is that I was, a, I, I was asked to play sitting volleyball um, a couple months back by, with the USA sitting volleyball, and I went team Victus games wanting to play sitting volleyball, but they took me off because I was swimming and it, it, you know, it, it both fell at the same time. So I couldn't swim. I mean, uh, play sitting volleyball. And can you, can you explain what it was like to kind of represent your country in, well, an Olympic arena? It's, you know, I, it's one of those things, and you know this, where we can't really explain it. You know that it's something special. You know that it's, it's, it's an incredible thing to be a part of. But until you actually step on the court, step onto the, uh, in the, the, by the pool and have all these people in this nation cheering you on, do you really uh, – it's, it's such a great feeling. It's, it's almost like a, a high that you feel. Um, I know that, uh, with the, uh, oh shoot, I lost my train of thought, but it was something really cool. And if I would have remembered it, but no, it's, it's, it's really an incredible feeling. And, uh, when I was asked to, to, to be in the Invictus games, I jumped at the opportunity, not only because I get to go to London where I had never been and it was such a beautiful place, but also, um, and this is what I was going to say before, I, when I enlisted in the United States military, when I became a, a naval air crewman, I, I signed a dotted line because I wanted to serve my country. I wanted to protect her. I wanted to preserve the, the freedoms that was, were given to me as I, when I was a child and, and where we are today. And when you get injured, um, the military, uh, intelligently, they, they say, you know, you're, you were this way, but now you're this way, and you're 100% 
is someone else's 60% right now. So we're going to go ahead and retire you. And then you get retired. So there's kind of like a vacuum in your life. You don't really know what to do because here you are, you, you wanted to serve your country and you were serving your country and now it just got taken away from you. Well, being a part of like Invictus Games, the Paralympics or World Championships where you're representing the United States of America or representing, um, you know, any country that you're in, um, you, you have the opportunity to represent your nation once again. You know, I, I'm here serving still, but I'm just serving in a different capacity. And that's very special for me because that vacuum is filled now with, with the, the same patriotism and the same um, willingness to, to sacrifice for my country. But would you not say that's the wrong mindset for the, the military to have to an extent? Kind of dig, well, can't, I won't say decommission because that's more associated yes. with a vehicle, but yeah. No, you're right. Can somebody that is, you could say probably with respect to yourself, uh, below the amputee, could they not give you a desk job and and thus move somebody that's doing that? Obviously, more they're they're able to go on deployment. Yes, I totally agree with you. Um, I, I think that's that's something that the military's gotten a lot better at. I know for a while there, it was, oh, you have an amputation, you're out no matter what. But then there are guys like August O'Neill and um, Sergeant DT and, and those guys, they, they went back. Like August O'Neill, he, he was a paratrooper in the Air Force. And that's, that's a spec op. That's a special ops. That's like being a Navy SEAL or uh, SAS. And, and he got injured. He got blown up. He lost his leg above the knee. And he got better and he said, I want to, I want to stay in. They're like, no, 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 you can't stay in. He's like, I will take all, I will do all the retesting and I will, I will qualify. And they said, okay, try it. They didn't think he was going to make it, but he breezed through it. And there are guys like that, like, like Austin and DT, those guys are, are great ambassadors for us because now the military doesn't look at us as automatically damaged goods. We're only damaged goods that we can't pass the, uh, the, the testing, the physical testing. Um, as for my case went, I was a little bit more um, realistic for, for myself because, you know, at, at that point I was 33 years old, turning 34. I just had this amputation and I just felt like, you know what, I, I can't fly anymore um, because of my kidney and, and losing a third of my colon. So I, I, I could have fought for it and there would have been commanders and XOs, COs that they would have fought for me and with me, but, but I was just kind of realistic. It's like, you know what, this, let's get a younger kid this, this spot. Um, I, I, I think it's time for me to move on. And that's what I did. And, but it's still, it, it left a vacuum because like, wow, this is what I plan to do for the next 30 years. And, and now what? So, but I totally agree with you. I, I think that, that it is the wrong way to look at things as far as the, the military to government saying you're damaged goods, you're no good. But I think they're really getting really good at, at changing that that mentality. And if we come back to kind of the Invictus Games, were you fortunate enough to compete, obviously, when it was in the U.S.? Yes. I got a, I had the opportunity to compete in Orlando, Invictus Games, and they put me on the, uh, the sitting volleyball team this year, that year. And, you know, the first year in London, you know, the Brits, you guys won. And it was great. You know, it, it's how it should have been because it's oh, yeah, because hometown. You could probably go – sorry to up you there, Brad. Yeah. But you could probably say, to a certain extent, the British team 
this would be like a bit PC now, uh, <laughs> competed in a way because a lot of the athletes had competed in a Paralympics. So you could say, well, should that, that Games be a stepping stone? It's hard to uh, fathom a little bit. How would you kind of put it into perspective? Would you see it as a um, program that is better served as rehabilitation or would you see it as stepping stone towards the Paralympics and thus a uh, competition entertaining itself? Um, Well, I know for us, for, for USA... Uh, the Americans, we have something called the Warrior Games as well. It's the Department of Defense Warrior Games. And it's every year, but it's between the branches. Uh, and and actually, um, you guys have come over a few times. And last year, we had Australia come as well. Uh, to me, the Warrior Games is the stepping stone for rehabilitation. Uh, that's where, man, it's a victory just to get on the track, just to finish a race. Um, and then I, I feel like Invictus Games is is another level up. Uh, Prince Harry does a great job of that, and and uh, man, he's he's one of my favorite people because of what he's done with Invictus Games. But but that's another step up. That's those are the guys that the athletes that man they got on the track, they finished races. That's great. Now let's try to win races. So it goes from finishing a race, winning race. And then the last step to me is the Paralympics where it's, Hey, let's get a gold medal for our nation. Uh, let's, let's compete on an international level in, in a higher uh, capacity. So, so I think that, um, that Invictus games is right there in the middle. It's a good place to be because you get both worlds. You know, you have Paralympic guys that actually come down and compete. You have guys that, man, it's, it's a victory just to step on the court and, and they're in the Invictus Games as well. Um, and, and there's no better motivator. Well, actually, there is a better motivator, but winning, being able to call yourself a winner at something or, or taking silver or taking bronze, uh, that's a great motivator for rehabilitation because the, the better you get, uh, the better you're going to feel. And in terms of, obviously, you were talking about the Brits winning it. I'm kind of coming back to my point with they were able to uh, use up. Obviously, I can't. I I could probably name three, possibly four. Cause I think because David went on to compete at the Paralympics, but mm-hmm. you had the likes of um, Charlie Walker, uh, Ra- Rana, um See if I can get his name right. Derek Duolangi. Obviously, had competed in London in the Paralympics for GB, and thus. Well, I won't say guaranteed to win, but you probably added pressure. Or you've competed at a higher level, you should be able to uh, deliver the goods. So, kind of coming on to the next point there, Brett. Obviously, can you explain what was it like? Obviously, because it was at Universal Studios in Orlando. Was it kind of hyped up to a certain extent because it was? in that kind of environment? Yes, um, it was actually, it was at the ESPN Center and the Walt Disney grounds. Um, but but when I first heard that Orlando was picking it up, I thought to myself, this is gonna be a disaster because London did it so great. It was so beautiful, it was perfectly done. And I really had a concern that, that the Americans just wouldn't embrace it. 
I mean, let's be honest. I just thought, you know, they have better things to do than, than watch us broke guys um, um, playing sports. But, but when I stepped onto the grounds, the ESPN um, ball fields and everything, there was an electricity like I never felt before. Uh, ESPN was covering it. And um, there, there was, the, you know, you had, you had all the celebrities there covering it. You had Michael J. Fox there. You had a bunch of people there. Um, and I was shocked. I really was. Here's, here we are. And what was it? 2000? What was London? 2014? I think so. So we're here in London, 2014, and we're like, it's not going to get better than this. But because of of what what Prince Harry were, was able to do, uh, everyone else followed suit. Like America's like, okay, well, well, let's let's do the same thing, but then let's add this and this. And now I know next year is going to be, uh, or actually, I think in like a month or two, it's going to be the Invictus Games in Toronto, and they're taking what they saw in London and in, um, in Orlando, and they're going to make it even better. Let's throw this, this, and this in now. So it's, to me, it's, it's been, it was so electric, but I can't imagine how electric uh, Toronto's going to be. But then do you not think having them so close together kind of diminishes the sporting kind of essence because obviously you know as the olympics and paralympics as you know it's every it's quite sick what's the word i want cyclistic in terms of it's every four years do you kind of think the invictus should maybe possibly take that kind of model do you think it should be as it is uh yes i well there's two sides of this for me number one i wouldn't mind seeing it like every two years kind of think soccer is like that right or or football is like that how it's every two years you have the world cup and and i'm okay with every two years now the the reason why i think that every year is good is because there are some of uh these these ex-military soldiers um these veterans that that if they're not focusing on Victus games, uh, they have a lot of idle time and idle time to a guy or girl suffering with depression or PTSD. uh, That's not good. (laughs) Um, If they don't have goals to strive for. So if you compete in the Invictus games and then like four weeks later, you're told, Hey, you're going to be invited to Invictus games next year. Now you have a goal. So now you have a reason to wake up and get out of bed every day. I always tell people if it weren't for adaptive sports, one for me uh, com- uh, training for competition, I might be in bed all day, every day. And, and that's not a good place to be no matter who you are, let alone somebody who suffers with post-traumatic stress. So uh, that's the only reason why I think that every year is a good thing. But uh, if they would say we're, we're going to do it every two years or every three years, I would be perfectly fine with that too. Cause it does, it does get, it gets taxing on the, uh, the athlete, the athletes, family members and, and also, like, the ones that put it together, like Prince Harry and his crew. So, so yeah, I can see both both sides of the coin there. And do you not have aspirations to compete in the one in Australia? I think it's in 2019, uh, I think. Yes, is. yes. I really want to go to Australia. <laughs> I really much. I, I was – I'm not going to the Toronto Invictus Games. I won't be there. 
I'm taking a year off, hoping that they call me and say, hey, you, you skipped last year. Can you come back this year? So I really want to go. My, my, perfect, my perfect idea of Invictus, perfect ending for me, was, is to go to Australia. I think it goes back to London after that. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that's what happens. I'm not positive, though. That's just a rumor mill. But if I could go back to London and close out my Invictus Games career there, that would be great because that's where it started. And, and if it weren't for, you know, adaptive sports and competitions like Prince Harry's Invictus Games, I, who knows where I'd be. And kind of going on to, obviously, with your aspirations to make the national team for the Paralympics in uh, Tokyo, I think off the top of my head, there's, there's quite a few ex-military in the team. From my recollection, there are there are there are actually quite a few. I think half the team, as far as this past um, Paralympics, half the team were military, and then we have even more now. I think there's three more uh, veterans that are now on the national team. So we're we're loading up with veterans, and I'm hoping that'll be that that next one that comes up there in the next few weeks. Right now, I'm on the A team, which is it's it's. A2 team actually. So so we're in the pipeline. We're just going to camps, just getting ready for the speed of the national team. So I'm hoping they pull me up in the next few weeks. And coming from a kind of a skill type environment now, what's it been like for you personally, obviously going from a very much an aerobic background to having to acquire a totally different skill and the skills yes. that come with that? Uh, it, it has definitely been uh, an adjustment. Um, I, I was used to, like you said, aerobic, you know, more of a, a longer lasting, but now it's more like an explosion. You know, you have to explode. I, I'm, I'm a hitter, so I'm weak side hitter. So what, I, you know, you, you go back, you transition back, and the ball comes your way, and now you got to, bam, you just got to fire out of the cannon and, and just hit it as hard and accurate as possible. And, and it, it definitely is different. I, I actually train differently than I used to. You know, I used to do a lot of this um, CrossFit type uh, workouts. But now because my, my sport's all about exploding, you know, it's all about explosion. I do a lot of just Olympic lifts without having to do how many can I do in 15 minutes? No, it's, it's you know, let's do four sets. Let's, let's really focus on it. Let's, let's explode through this. So, so my workouts have changed. My dietary um, uh, specifications have changed. That uh, I'm eating a lot more protein than I used to because uh, I'm just trying to, to build up as much uh, when it comes to explosive style uh, lifts. So, yeah. And kind of looking at your visual cues that you give me, obviously, as we're doing this interview face-to-face, would you would I say be right in saying you're a left-handed hitter, or something? yes, I am a left-handed hitter. That's why that's why they have me on the weak side. Um, you know, I, I'm okay. Uh, I'm okay on on the strong side, but people aren't expecting a left-hander on the weak side. So, and so yeah, so that's one thing I got going for me. I'm all about the left hand. This right arm, though, I try to hit. It's it's like a wet noodle flying all over the place. I'm trying to think. So. From my recollection, going back when I was involved in this sport, I can't think of anybody that was able to hit with both. It's either very much a dominant-handed yeah. sport. So 
I think maybe if the part the past or the set has been off the money, then then you've got to adjust. Then you can't hit. Yeah, and then you have to hope that you're so accurate that that you're hitting past all of the all the hands. But yeah, I know there's one guy, one of my closest friends. Uh, he practices hitting both with left and right, uh, but there's a definite difference. His left hand swing is significantly weaker than than his right. So I'd have thought it'd be not as accurate either. Hmm. Because it's been your weaker arm, you've got, well, you could say the proprioception is not as good as, say, your dominant side. Right. So, well, but then I think, obviously, you've got to work on your weakness, so to speak, and obviously that sport. If you don't expect it to be done, it's one of those, there's a lot, a lot of trickery involved. It's, Mm-hmm. Making it's a, it's kind of a to explain to the listeners, it's kind of a game in itself if you compare it to standing volleyball because the things you can get away with in in sitting, you probably couldn't do in standing. Right, right. Like a great example is you can block a serve in sitting, but in standing you can't block a serve. So, so yeah, it, it's definitely different. I think that sitting's a lot quicker than standing because you know it's the court isn't as big and you're going all over the place. So, but yeah, there's definite differences to it. And then obviously we were talking about off air about the, should we call him a phenom? Because obviously he stands out with the, with the Iranian we were talking about. He is, I think he, I thought he was about seven foot. You were talking, you were saying about seven foot two. Yeah. He's, he's tall. <laughs> And obviously, we were talking about a, what would you say, um, the difficulties of probably coming up against something like that. Yeah, those are one of those things, those guys, they are, they're phenoms, and that guy is, um, like you were saying before, he, he, is, he is raw right now, um, but he's a, a guy with that, with that size, you know, that reach, it's it's a game changer and you have to, you have to plan around him. You can't hope to, to hit the ball through him. Um, but, but there's ways, there's ways around it. You could tip it off, you know, you can hit high hands and tip off his fingertips. And so there's, there's things you can do, but you definitely, you know, if you're watching film, you're watching him. So. Well, I think it would probably be off the top of my head. I think it probably with the tall guys, Ah, what country would it have been? Well, obviously, the Bos- the Bosnians stick to mind because the team is going to say. I think even the Libero is about six foot, <laughs> but mm-hmm. all their team is over six foot tall. And then you've got the Brazilians who brought in two guys. I think both played either standing or beach before they had injuries. So it's like you've got to adjust, and I think. The other countries are probably catching up, and I think the Iranians. I think it was one way. Well, if we can't beat them, might as well join them in a club, right? That's right. <laughs> but it's a difficult one because they're good. They're they're kind of in themselves. The Iranians and the Bosnians are in a kind of a, a, a group to themselves, a class, 
uh, within the world rankings. They're thinking, well, you're already better than everybody else anyway. Why do you need to go one step further? I know. I know. It's, it's like they're putting an exclamation point on their, on their talent, on their team. But, uh, yeah, the, the, the great thing about um, sport is that, you know, you can work to get better. And, you know, a team that trusts each other and works as a team and works as one cohesive unit to, to get better, will get better. And uh, I, I know America, USA, Team USA is, um, we're on our way. You know, there's, there were many sets that we just barely lost in the um, 2016 Olympics so, or Paralympics. I'm sorry. So yeah, it's, um, you know, it's just teams like that, like the Bosnians and the Iranians, they're, they're great teams, but everyone has the potential to be that great. We just have, we just have to work at it and keep working. Oh, you probably go one step further than that. I think it helps that they've both got professional leagues. Yeah, that helps too. <laughs> yeah, with the funding's not not where it needs to be um, in in America. Just because, I mean, our women's team is incredible. They took gold in uh, 2016 Paralympics, so they're something else. And then there's us guys who aren't something else right now. You know, that's that. But but we just have to prove ourselves, and and throughout that, and throughout this journey, um, I think that it'll pay off. But you would have thought, obviously, there is that, from a Olympic standpoint, you've got an affiliate, not affiliation, but along those lines, with volleyball, be it standing or beach, so there's that history. So you'd have thought you would maybe get possibly more support than you actually do yet. Yeah, you would think so. And I think, I think it's coming around. Um, the girls are, they're on another level, but, but really it hasn't been too long in the grand scheme of things that we've had sitting volleyball um, that we've actually been able to be competitive in. So, so I think it's just, it's just taken a little bit longer to, you know, to come around. But I think that in, you know, I, I think in regular relatively short time we'll we'll have the support and the in the financing that we that we need to get as good as we can get and off there brett you were saying obviously you guys come together uh what was it once a month and i was obviously explaining to you when i was on the british equivalent we were training with each other off the top of my head i think about five times five times a week obviously if you guys had that luxury you could see well, the progression yeah. of the kid is a lot is a lot is a lot steeper and the advances you're gonna make are gonna come a lot quicker. But do you think that if you did have that obviously the US is I'll take a guess here, I'll say maybe ten times bigger, obviously so that makes travelling that much more difficult. Do you think Maybe I think I lost you. Got back? Is that come back? Yeah, it's back. It's back now. <laughs> but do you think maybe if you had, because you were talking about, you were a member of the, you say, is it the second team or the third team? Second, second team. 
if you had a larger pool of athletes to pick from, do you think maybe a model of maybe having regional centers would work better than maybe coming together once more? Oh, that would work. That'd be perfect. And I, I think you're right. Um, now we do have little like grassroots practice times here and there. Um, I know here in Jacksonville, Florida, where I live right now, there's one guy that shows up on Friday nights at, at a volleyball court and he's sitting there and doing his stuff. I mean, if, if there was like 12 or 13 guys going every, every Friday, that's one thing. But, but when you show up and there's only two guys, there's only really so much you can do. A lot of, a lot of being able to, to be the best you can be in city volleyball is gameplay. You need to know gameplay situations. That's so big. It's, you have to have a high sitting volleyball IQ and you just don't get that with, with two people, you know, hitting the ball back and forth to each other. Um, but yeah, it, exactly. If there were regional centers that had practice on a daily basis or even on a weekly basis, it would, it would make a huge difference, but I think we're getting there. I think that, um, you know, USA sitting volleyball team, we go around the nation and we, and we participate in these tournaments, these grassroots tournaments and, and the sport is growing. People are, I mean, not just by, you know, us, you know, uh, disabled or, or, you know, amputees, but, but people that are able-bodied, they, they're playing, they're in these tournaments, they're loving it. These, these standing teams, they go and they, they join these tournaments and and I think it the sport is growing here in in the US. Well that one's a difficulty one playing against them because it's from a technical aspect, they're better than you because they've been doing it since well, in some cases since they were kids. So it's trying to move them around and obviously make the yeah. the extra limbs be be a problem. Yes, and and it really is. What we really get these standing guys, what we really get them on is butt lifts. They don't they don't know how to keep their butts on the ground, and it's uh, it's it's a huge advantage for guys like us because we've been playing this sport for such a long time that it's just natural. What is a, what is a butt lift? But these guys that are standing and go and sit, you know, we hit the ball over, and this guy almost stands all the way up to hit it. I'm like, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't do that. And sometimes the refs know that they're standing team, so they let it go. They're just, oh, I'm just going to let it go. I'm like, no, we just lost a point because of that. So, yeah, it's it's definitely interesting, but it's a lot of fun, and, and I appreciate these guys coming out, and, and ladies as well. I appreciate them coming out and and playing in these tournaments with us. I think after like a domestic level, because I've been, well, I'm able to play more than one position. Thinking mm-hmm. tournament, I've done it, and it'd be dependent on the referee's experience. But it's doing it against taller players to do it on purpose and say it through the net. I, oh, by the way, I'm going to do this. Yeah, play mind games. I think it was one. Oh, what did I? I didn't get all the block on it. And it obviously went out of bounds. Obviously, they win the point. But the next one, I, I didn't go anywhere. <laughs> and I think he had the. Oh, he's gonna he's gonna come up higher, so I'm gonna hit it. And I, I was sitting with my hands up, and this ball goes out flying out of bounds. Like, you know, I play my <laughs> game. That's why. <laughs> yeah. But then you you've got it. They'll they'll go and say, "Oh, referee, did you not see that?" Yeah. Oh well, he didn't see it. That's not my problem. <laughs> yeah that's but right I think obviously at domestic level you're going to get away with 
a lot more than than internationally. So it's I think it's because we oh he's gone into our captain well he's gone into skeleton now. So it's oh. he's a bit of a I would say he's got a bit of a screw loose to a certain extent to want to just <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was a below the knee amputee, and oh God, how tall he be? About a little bit taller than me, and he'd be renowned for doing it. And you're thinking, um, I'm behind it. I'm behind him, and I can see probably, I say about a gap like this, mm-hmm. uh, probably I don't know, two three inches between the floor and his ass. So you're thinking, yep. okay, how can you not see that? But they're only human. I think it's, um, I think at times maybe they should give a bit of leniency because I think some, I think they define it as, what's the word term I've heard in the past? Uh, spectacular play. And then you're allowed to do, to get away with it. Mm-hmm. So you're thinking, well, what do you, what what would you define as spectacular play? It's a it's a difficult one. Normally, it should be something chasing after it. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, geez, uh, spectacular play. That to me, it's no miss serves. And what I mean by miss serves is don't hit it into the net or out of bounds when you're serving the ball. Uh, so I've gone one better than that. What's that? Tournament. I hit the antenna. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that little antenna. And you know, you're like, don't hit the antenna. Don't hit the antenna. There you go. You hit the antenna. <laughs> but one, of, one of the girls, I think, one of the US girls went one, one better than that. They did it in the final. Oh, that's embarrassing. <laughs> Jeez. Well, you could, yeah, say, I think, you could say in a certain context, it's a skill because it's, it's not that wide. <laughs> It's that is hard to do. The only the only way you're able to hit the antenna is if you don't want to. That's how it works. It's the only way. But, but like, yeah, movement movement too is is huge. It's spectacular gameplay is is movement, ball control, and serving. But in terms of like coaching, how, is your coach still from a standing background? Uh, come from a standing background. Sorry. Yes, our our coaches come from a standing background, um, but I think they've been doing it long enough that that they get it. They know there's, they know that even the subtle differences in in especially the the USA uh, Paralympic women's coach. He's just he's a surgeon out there. He he's very precise and knows exactly what he's doing and and how to treat each and every girl. And and we have a new I guess he's a new men's coach for about two years now. I think he's there, been there for two years and he's been, he coaches uh, at, at a college and stand standing volleyball, but he knows the difference and he knows the sitting volleyball just as well as he knows the standing volleyball. So, so yeah, every, I feel like everybody seems to come from that standing background if they have played volleyball and they've had to kind of train their brain to, to kind of turn that off. Now, some people, they play standing and sitting like in the same week, and I don't know how they do that. I I can't do that. So no, but I only ask you that question, Brad, because obviously our husband was from a standing background, and he dated the players 
you know, like the thing, adjust movement wise. Mm. Yeah, you can do that in standing because it's your legs that are moving. Then, it, then obviously you can adapt. Uh, sitting down, you know, well, I think the player is probably in the back of their mind. Yeah, yeah, I'll listen to what you say. But consciously, that's impossible to do. Or you, you could probably move, I don't know, a couple of inches, but then you're reacting. Or as, as opposed mm. to um, you are anticipating what's coming. And, and thus, if you don't move, because it'd be like, oh, you could have moved, I don't know, but an inch. Yeah, yeah, but but I feel I just lean over to the side here and and kind of use my torso. I can use my body weight as you are expecting right. me to move. Even the better teams don't do that, or or they they can read it that well. They've moved when the fl- in the flight of the the ball the flight the, in the move in the moment of the ball is in flight. Right. Yeah. It's like they know that it's that it's going to be there before it even gets hit. But then it's, um, but then oh, it's sorry. very much, well, they've got the tactical now, and things like that. It's, it's in a way, as we've discussed, Paralympic sport is, is very different from its Olympic counterpart because it's, in an essence, if we use volleyball, basketball, they're sort of like chess games as well. Oh, for sure. Definitely. It's, there's a lot more to it um, than being stronger, faster, bigger. It's just, it's a lot of strategy to it. And it is, it's just like a check, uh, a chess game. You have to know who's where and, and where your weak spots are and where their weak spots are. So it's, it's just, I love the sport. I love it. I love that it's a team sport. I love that that really challenges me, especially I just, I've never played volleyball at all before I was asked to play sitting volleyball. Good news is I didn't have any bad habits. The bad news is I had no idea what I was doing. So, so it's been just such an eye opener for me and, and really has brought a lot of joy to my life. I'm probably the same, similar until somebody said, have, well, would you give a shot at obviously doing it with the eye of making the team for London 2012. I think four years earlier, I'd be bad-mouthed it when, when I was watching in the uh, in Beijing. Oh, this looks... Well, not bad-mouthed in a bad way, but, oh, this looks easy. Any, any, mm-hmm. any, anybody off the street could do it. But the one actually, actually had to do the skill and actually do it, I'm thinking, okay, I was maybe a little bit ignorant and to say this sport is easy because... I don't maybe maybe from an aerobic standpoint, you're thinking, well, we have to put in a hell of a lot more tra- hours of training right. uh, at times. So you're thinking maybe that, maybe a little bit of arrogance. You're thinking, well, okay, our, our, our worth ethic is maybe higher. And you're thinking, oh, this is hard. I've said to people, I was wrong, <laughs> dead wrong, and it was hard. To pick up a skill because, like you, you've attested to on this episode, it's not not a skill that you you do and you've done, ever had to employ in the past. Right. So, last question for you. Right. It's um, 
Sure. I'll let you. You were about to say something, so I'll let you. Oh um, no! I was just I was just going to say that I think the the word sitting in it makes people subconsciously think, oh, it's easy. You just sit there and you hit the ball. Uh, but but the sitting's the, the hard part. <laughs> I mean, you have to stay seated and. And those floors aren't soft, you know. We're not playing on foam floors. Those are hardwood floors, and and I think it depends it, where, though. Internationally, internationally, it's not almost goes as far as that. But Paralympic mm-hmm. level, it's tire flex. But then, yeah, that's better. Mm. What's that? That you're talking about ones that had the little squares, the square tile. Oh, I hate things. that one. I hate the, that. Oh, one. I can't stand that. it. That one, I hate it. Uh, No, I mean, as in it's, how would you describe it? It's, it's like foam, but it's not the the material. It has a little bit of give to it. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. I know which one you're talking about. We actually played on one of those floors um, in San Diego a couple weeks ago at a tournament and I was in heaven. I was like, this is incredible. I'm used to these hardwood floors with these. This one was nice. But I think, to kind of come to my point with that where I say it's somewhat not good. I think the one we had for London, and did we train on it beforehand? It was a slightly different color, I think, material-wise. It wasn't as, um, what's the word I want? Slidey in a, in, a, in a kind of essence, because the ones we'd trained on in the past, you'd push, you'd go a hell of a lot further. With this one, oh. kind of stick a little bit. You're thinking, okay, I haven't got the push. So a lot of things I look back and I look, watch it video. Mm-hmm. You're thinking, diving for balls. Well, if I'd have been on this one we practiced on, I'd possibly have got it. I won't say probably, because that's probably yeah, <laughs> an exaggeration. But you're thinking, oh, come on, I could have got that a few weeks ago. Right. It's probably a level. Obviously, the, train, the teams are going to practice on it. We had a scrimmage against the Brazilians before the tournament started. Um, I think well, and you you're going to have practice games against other other countries in the lead up, so you can kind of gauge a lot of politics involved, as, as you probably oh, know, in terms of other countries saying, "Oh no, you're not. You, you, we won't we won't scrimmage against you because we don't think you're good enough." So it's right. like, well, you could look at it one or two ways. Okay, we're not on the level of you. So it's still a practice match. You could use it in terms of what if scenarios. It, you could, it's way maybe look at it. It's maybe uh, in a bad way. It's maybe that mindset approach of, oh, we're better, we're better than you, so why bother? Kind of, it's, it's, I can understand it. Whereas, well, we, we didn't have that luxury. You guys are probably on the same level. You, when it's a lower country to ask, oh, can we play against you? You're not going to say no. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, I mean, it's gameplay. It's, <laughs> so that's the way I look at it. It's like, man, I don't care if you guys are, are, are eight-year-olds. Uh, I will get out there. It's gameplay. I get to check the situation out. I get to stay mentally sharp. So, so yeah, I mean, there's a lot of politics to it, but but it's to me it's worth it because it's such a great sport. I love it. And last question before we wrap up the episode, Brett. If you had to summarize this 
episode into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? Uh, I would probably say, um, you know, if you look at guys like you and me, uh, you can see that we're broken, you know, we're, we're not whole, but, but in reality, we're all broken in a way might not be physically. It might be, uh, you know, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically. Um, but broken doesn't mean broke, you know, just because you're, you're broken. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you can't make a difference or you can't get out of bed and, and carry on, you know, broken doesn't mean broke, you know, we, you got to find something, you got to find a goal, you got to strive for it and just can't quit. And I, I think, I think I would like people to take that away from this is that, is that, yeah, you know, it, you might be down and out, you might be hurting, um, you might be sad, depressed, but you know what? It's not the end of the line. There's always something else on the horizon and keep working for the horizon. I think that's great great quote there brett so once again thanks for coming on the mindset game podcast thank you thank you so much it's been awesome thank you and before i forget i would really appreciate it if you would be so kind as to leave a short review as it helps to get the podcast more notoriety and it would be more visible in future to others and thus helping more people which my guests and i are all about Once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Mindset Game Podcast.